Mark Azoulay is an industry leader in psychotherapy and men's mental health. He's helped countless guys get back on their feet, deepen their relationships, and excel in their lives. Now he's taken all that he has learned and is sharing it with you. In each episode, Mark will interview an expert in the field of masculinity and men's work. We'll cover topics such as emotional intelligence, masculine identity, anger management, financial health, trauma recovery, marriage and divorce, ethics, and spirituality. Tune in and become a better man. Welcome back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Gadsley, and I'm here with Jocelyn Eve. She's a great friend of mine from the AGPA, the American Group Psychotherapy Association. Uh, she's a therapist out of Cambridge, and she's worked with men, um, specifically men that have suffered traumas. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here, Mark. So I'm excited to talk with you because up until now, we've talked with a lot of men that work with men, and I'm interested in the female perspective of women who decide to work with men. So in this first segment, let's start with your story. What interested you about doing men's work and getting into this type of group and this type of uh, treatment? I'm so glad you asked. It's been such an interesting journey. I have been working mainly with female identified survivors for many, many years now. And when I think about what prompted this new men's group, um, I mean, I think a couple factors come to mind. One is that I, a couple of years ago, inherited a mixed gender process group um, with all adult trauma survivors. And that's been incredibly um, moving and inspiring to me. And it has made me drawn to create more spaces specifically for male survivors. Also, a lot of the men in my practice are, you know, coping, processing dealing with the long-term legacy of kind of childhood adversity and traumas. So it felt like it was something I was seeing very pervasively across the, the folks that I was working with individually. And I also think, well, so many things, but like I went to a, a conference many years ago about youth offenders and I was really, really struck by the kind of false dichotomy and siloing of people identifying as providers who work with offenders versus victims, perpetrators versus survivors. And I, I feel like, yeah, that sort of resonates with like a larger theme of why I feel so personally passionate about this work, because I see in my practice and I've seen in my own life and my own relationships and family and community, how easy it is to get into false binaries and, and to feel like we're not more than the worst thing that we've ever done. When in reality, most of us don't get through childhood or get through this life without encountering some kind of trauma. And sometimes part of that journey is in perpetrating or, you know, creating more harm or suffering or even abusing, you know, someone. So I, I find that a lot of the work I do with men is related to that sort of grappling of not, yeah, all the all the shame that comes with the trauma, but then further shame and isolation and stigma that comes with then being in a position of harming others. Yeah, hundred percent. It's that old adage, right? Like hurt people hurt people, you know. And a fair number of the guys that I work with are probably similar. You know, they often. Well, let me take a step back, right? Like, and you probably can see this: that men don't go to therapy until their life is in shambles. You know, it's often like a last ditch effort. So I have a handful of clients that have, you know, unfortunately hit their spouse or hit their child. 
you know, only once. And of course, I'm not condoning that, but they have that outburst. They do that thing. And then they're scared, right? They're scared. They're afraid. They don't want that to happen again. And then oftentimes when you dig in, it's something that their parent used to do to them all the time, right? They were regularly beaten or they were, you know, physically abused all the time by their father or their mother. So a lot of that shame and that stigma is like, oh my God, I don't want to be my dad. And I did this thing where now I'm my dad. I'm curious, do you see that in the work that you do? Absolutely. Um, That adage definitely rings rings true. And I also, I think it was Brian Stevenson who said, we're more than the worst thing that, that we're all more than the worst thing that we've ever done. And I think that 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 really rings true when I think about the men I work with and the trauma and grief that they're dealing with, because it's like not, it's hardly even represented in the media. Like they hardly even show this part of the human experience um, in like, you know, what we what we see in our phones and in the news and the advertising. It, it's just striking to me. I'm thinking about a particular film that came out this year about cults and, and how one of my, some of my clients were, were, were watching and paying attention. It was like a popular Netflix film and, and to see their experience reflected kind of for maybe the first time was so activating and you might say triggering, but, but really it was like the amount of female survivors I work with who bring in content all the time from sort of seeing their experiences reflected in the news and pop culture. I think it's just really, really striking to me how alone um, men feel with this work. And so as a, as a female identified cis gender clinician working with men, it seems like it's particularly poignant. And and I say that knowing that many men have been abused and harmed by women. So it's not, it's not obviously all like one, one way or the other, that there are some people who particularly seek out um, working with providers who represent their identities and others, you know, who they might feel, feel safer um, working with a, a male therapist. So I know that you obviously know all about this but when you when you said sort of about speaking with me I just feel like it's important to name that like many more people are reaching out to my male colleague who's co-leading this new group than they are with me and I don't think that that's a coincidence yeah I think people tend to gravitate towards likeness right I think it's like a human nature type of thing Um, and, you know, we talked about it in a previous episode with, uh, Christina Dixon, this idea that I think a lot of men struggle to work with female therapists because they don't want to hurt them. They don't want to burden them. They don't want to have them, um, feel the pain that they feel. There's like this protector thing, which is completely unwarranted, right? I mean, a female therapist is like in some ways, many more, much more capable than the male client, you know, but I think as men, we have that ingrained, um, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm curious in your, in your life, Jocelyn, like, did you grow up with a lot of male friends or, did you gravitate towards this work or did you interact with male survivors in a personal way? Mm -hmm. That's a great, great question because I think that that contributes as well to why at this moment in my career, I'm drawn to working with men. I think that because of all the work that I've done in my life and in my career, like understanding the maybe like patriarchy and understanding and grappling with like the me too movement and traumatic experiences I've had where men have been involved, um, I feel like that has allowed me to show up in a really solid way for my male clients. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case for everyone in the field who, you know, aren't necessarily 
um, seeing this as a, as a social justice issue. And I, I realize that that's my bias. That's kind of the lens that I bring to the work, but it, it does feel like it's an access issue. And so I was interested. I listened to your conversation with Christina and it was so fascinating to think about like the numbers that it's actually really hard to find like male therapists. And then it's, I've done a lot of work, like I said, with female survivors and it's not that hard to find groups that are for female survivors. Why, why aren't people leading groups specifically for men or for male survivors? And I, I think it goes to your question about sort of why aren't therapists wanting to, to do that? And I think that it comes back to like doing our own work. And so, yeah, I feel very proud and like humbled to get to hold space and to show up in this way. It feels like a, yeah, a real like passion area. And we, we considered doing this group for, for women. Like it was interesting just to sort of grapple with like who and why, and like, what, what do I, what do we have to offer at this moment? And it really like boiled down to this is a super underserved population and we know it's going to take a lot more outreach and a lot more effort, but we want to, we want to work with men. And so I, the last person I spoke to this last week on a podcast, he was like, I wanted to work with men and only women were reaching out. And and so I thought I'd share that with you as as someone who's, you know, done such a successful job reaching men that it's not easy. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. I think a lot of men, like I said, are are very um, anti-therapy or they see it as weakness. And I think a lot of therapy doesn't work for men also, right? Like I'm not going to put on the guys on all the guys plate, right? I think the idea of like sitting and talking deeply about your feelings is not how we connect as guys and having a therapist that is like this blank slate, which is what we're taught to be is not how we connect as men, right? Like just sitting and listening is like very foreign and honestly, like kind of boring to us. Like we want conversation that's dynamic, that's bantery, that's back and forth where we challenge each other where we joke, right? Like this idea that like, you know, um, the, the phrase that I have is like irreverent with profound moments of depth, right? Like a lot of male conversation of guys that know each other very well. It's a lot of laughing. It's a lot of joking. It's a lot of like, you know, japing at each other. But then every once in a while you drop into the real shit. And I think male intimacy and male conversation, especially without any women present is really different. Um, as I'd assume, and again, I'm not a woman, so I don't know, but I'd assume like female conversation when there's no men in the room is also very, very different. Um, and I think therapy has taken a slant towards this kind of more feminine type of conversation um, and intimacy style. I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Another perspective related to that is just, uh, I feel sometimes that I represent my male clients, partners or female friends that they are lacking in intimacy with. So being able to talk about kind of sexual dysfunction or dissatisfaction in their lives in a way that they're not accessing socially or interpersonally feels like something that that they really relish and then really open open to. I, I'm really amazed, kind of going to your earlier point about what brings men to therapy. Like it's so fascinating to me that it, it's it's so it very much feels like something's not working. And it's, it is like a lot, I think you said this in your other episode, it's like a last resort, like um, for some people, they've already tried therapy in college or um, yeah, they, their past girlfriend recommended that they, they do this or they failed several marriages, whatever it is, like that it feels like they're not, they know that drinking or whatever kind of coping strategy they're doing is, is not enough. And 
I'm really like amazed by like the courage that it takes to say, okay, let me, let me give this a shot. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of men, um, we start physically, like we'll start with like, Oh, I'm going to go to the gym. Right. Or I'm going to change my diet or I'm going to change my job. Um, right. We make those kind of much more external, very physical changes before it's like, I'm going to talk to somebody. Cause the idea, I think, and I'm actually interested in this, in this for you. Like, I think a lot of men, and I can throw myself in that category until I really worked with a skilled therapist, like talking hasn't helped us, right? Talking to other people has either been traumatizing or it's been thrown back in our face or it's caused us to get bullied or we've met with somebody who has an unsympathetic ear, sometimes our parents, right? Like talking doesn't help. Um, whereas I think women has had have had much more experience where talking does help. I'm curious if you hear that with the guys that, that you work with. Mm-hmm. In the documentary, The Mask We Live In or something like that, it's by the same creators of Misrepresentation. They talked about how when little girls and little boys come home from school, um, the girls get, a couple, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes talking to a caregiver, a parent about their feelings and the little boy is told to go go sweat it off. So I, I do think that it's very evident that the level of comfort and familiarity, the trust to just begin to build a therapeutic relationship is definitely markedly different in my clinical experience um, so far. Um, But I also just wanted to, to, to kind of reflect on, yeah, that, that sentiment that for men they're they're, there, they should be okay. And that something didn't bother them so much that they should move, move on that. There's just so much like dismissing of the male experience, even as like, guys grow older that I think that 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 really comes through when they show up for therapy and there's so little self-validation or affirmation that they've been through anything that could explain why they're struggling now. Right. Yeah. I think the, the superpower and the curse of the masculine is that we can compartmentalize, right? Cause like biologically we had to do that. We had to put shit in a box so we can kill that deer or so we can like kill that person or we can do whatever, right. We can defend the people that we love. But now in the modern world, like, that is really kicking us in the ass, right? Because I think our, our our impulse is to compartmentalize, right? Shove it down and then move forward no matter what. And again, it's not all bad, but in the emotional relationship and the emotional world, it's not appropriate. It doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just quickly say that with right now, with another war being fought, like it just seems like such an example for, like we can't talk about men and trauma and, and group work without thinking about like what, we're doing to, to so many men and, and families right now with all the, all the wars that it makes sense that literally it's not just evolutionary. Like it's happening right now that we're kind of dehumanizing people and exposing them to so much, such endless violence and trauma. Right. Yeah. And often men, whether they be soldiers or first responders or even dads, right. Dads and, and partners, you know, oftentimes we do do this like man up muscle up thing where we put in the box, we move forward, and then we don't feel the repercussions for years, if not decades afterwards. You know, and I imagine those are the guys that you work with where they put it in the box as a child and now it's coming up. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, it often isn't, I think, till people are out of their families' homes, you know, far, far from the trauma that it begins to kind of emerge those memories and, and feelings or when they're in a new intimate relationship, maybe it comes up sexually or it comes up in the form of cheating or violence as you, as you named. So it's very much feels like a reactive thing. And, and that's understandable. Most people come to therapy and they say, I don't want to feel anxiety. I don't want to feel depressed. I want to be happy. Um, so it's a very, I think, wholesome and human 
motivation. And yet we know that the work of trauma, trauma recovery takes time. Yeah, I think that's a great topic to talk about in our next segment, kind of how trauma manifests in the adult world and how guys specifically can work through it and start to heal and some of the work that you do and the trauma groups that you run. Um, because I think a lot of guys, like you said, we don't want to admit that stuff happened to us, you know? Um, so being able to diagnose the problem does mean I want to hear it to the guys out there. Like that means that there's a solution, right? Like if you can diagnose a problem, then you can fix it. So there's nothing wrong with you that you have a problem. It means that, okay, cool. There's a pathway for hope. Um, so we're going to move to our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how it manifests in the present moment. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Men's Therapy Online is now accepting new members. Men's Therapy Online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression, positive role models, and access to meaningful milestone experiences. In our post-COVID world, loneliness is at an all-time high. Men need consistent community. Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man. A man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. Start your journey today. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalay. To reach the show today, please call 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Adsley, and I'm here with Jocelyn Eve. She's a psychotherapist out of Cambridge that works with men, and specifically men trauma survivors. Um, she runs groups that help them to heal through the traumas of their childhood. So Jocelyn, I think we should just start right there, right? Like, how does trauma manifest when the man is an adult, right? Say something happened to them. Um, how does it start to show up, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years later? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting the way you've formulated the question, because it seems like when I think about the the men I work with, it's it's been a long history of, of the trauma, I think, showing up and being masked and, and not recognized. And kind of, as I was saying in the earlier segment, kind of minimized and denied and repressed, not by the men necessarily exclusively, but by their partners and families and teachers and coaches and then oftentimes as we become adults who have traumatic childhood experiences, we're further at risk for being re-traumatized 
So we find ourselves in kind of codependent or abusive relationships as adults or in toxic workplaces or incarcerated or involved with, you know, the criminal justice system. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of my initial response. Yeah. You know, you you talked about different arenas and I kind of want to go through them. You know, uh, I think the obvious one, and this is problematic that this is the obvious one for male is like physical, right? Like it shows up with them abusing, physically abusing somebody else. You know, um, or for a lot of men, um, I've seen a, a high correlation between like obesity, like morbid obesity and trauma, right? This idea of kind of putting a buffer between themselves and the world, you know, or emotionally eating. I think it shows up as as addiction. Um, but I'm curious for you, you talked about the sexual dimension, which I'm interested in, and also like the mental emotional dimension. So what are some other symptoms that uh, a man might have knowing that they might be carrying trauma with them? Yeah, I, I was just listening to a training last night because I'm a total nerd, as you know, um, and it was about borderline personality disorder and how historically that has been commonly kind of stigmatized as something that women are diagnosed with and how that's actually not what the research has shown. And I, I was so interested to to hear more about that because that definitely reflects what, what I'm seeing, that possible impacts of trauma it might show up as fatigue, headaches. It can be physical in terms of teeth grinding, GI, stomach issues, sleep difficulties, uh, chronic pain, PTSD. That there's so many, so many ways that it shows up. And I think that, unfortunately, as a society, we we often come across you know trauma in men when when it comes to looking at sort of who who's represented in, you know, the incidents of gun violence or who's, you know, getting in trouble for domestic violence or, you know, just name name the kind of headline and men seem to keep keep coming up. So I feel like there's a, a real deep um yeah denial and and stigma that that really feels so pervasive. And I I guess I wanted to underscore this because it's like even in the field. And that is such an issue. And then that that fuels sort of my passion for doing this, this outreach and doing this work so we can create more awareness that, that the, our brothers and fathers and grandfathers and uncles and male friends are, are really, many of them are really suffering. And I also don't want to, I know you're not saying this, but I don't want to conflate that like all, all men are like, you know, obviously not physically uh, abusive or anything, but there is an interesting overlap when I think about kind of the Me Too movement and, and men who are struggling with boundaries and, and, navigating sexual intimacy and just negotiating needs and relationships at a really like basic level. Um, Many of them have really grown up in invalidating environments or not been a good fit for what their caregivers or parents could provide them emotionally. And I think that that shows up a lot in the one-on-one, but also as a female group therapist, it shows up a lot in my group clients. Yeah. You know, I'm really curious about the social justice lens, you know, and and where I go to is when I think of, okay, so let me take a step back, right? Because I need to talk about women first. I think women have a lot of slur words that are obviously used against them, right? Some words like bossy, right? Or bitchy or, you know, domineering or nagging, right? Like these words that are like attached to women that are very, very harmful. So I want to, I'm going to talk about some of the men words, right? But I don't want to negate the female words, right? Um, The men words, when I think about some of the male words, the words come to mind are like evil, right? Or bad, right? Or like chauvinist, right? Things like that. Um, you don't often hear of like an evil woman, but you hear of like an evil man. And when you think about 
perpetrators, right? There's often this idea like, oh, there, there's evil out there in the world, right? Or there's there a bad man or something like that. Um, and I like that you bring in the trauma lens because I think it adds more nuance to that, right? Like these people are not born evil or bad or like demonic or devilish, right? But there's more going on there. Um, I, I'm curious what you think about that idea. Um, and if you see that in some of the guys that you work with, kind of breaking through that stigma of them just like being a bad man versus being a traumatized man, you know? Yeah, I absolutely see that a lot. And I think about it as like that kind of old school exercise about the looking at the box that we're put in and like, what, what does it mean to be a man? Mm -hmm. And to look at like how men are holding themselves up to these, these standards of what they were taught, that really narrow definition of masculinity. So I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but that it kind of shows up in hearing their sense of perceived failure in their lives, uh, you know, whether it's professionally or romantically um, feeling like they're not, not able to, to, to do enough for their partner or their friends. It's just like a real deep sense of inadequacy. Yeah. And I think of like the traditional masculine role, which I think is still relevant today is of like that protector and that provider, right? It's like that guard. It's like, you're both the guard of the castle and like the King, right. That like, you like give out the gifts and you protect the, um, the gate. And I think a lot of guys are always ranking themselves, right? Like we love as men, I think we love and we respond well to hierarchy, right? Um, that's what the patriarchy is, right? It's something that like a layer that we put over the world. And I think when men feel like, like you said, they're a loser, that the bottom of the hierarchy, they have nothing to offer. They can really spiral quickly um, because they often feel alone too, you know? I think that that's what we're seeing with the incel culture online. Yeah. That, yep. that there's like such a dearth of men's mentorship and, and support. And I know you're doing such amazing work to foster more, more community and kind of alternative therapeutic settings for this bonding and this healing to happen. Because why, why else are people bonding over the internet about, yeah, their, their kind of victimization as men. It seems like one of the, some of the people I'm speaking to fall into that kind of, demographic are, are now like, yeah, I just, I just want to know what it's like to connect with other men in like a healthy way where I can get support, but it's like actually, I don't know, serve, serving me and like what I value in life. Like there's a, there's a recognition of, I think some of the toxicity, but like a lack of access to spaces and, and mentors and elders who can offer that kind of support. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear more about like the journey and evolution of the social justice movement as it relates to men, especially men's mental health, right? Because I think as it was getting launched, it turned off a lot of men because, you know, specifically straight, white, cisgendered men were seen as like the enemy or as they perceived as like an enemy. So I think a lot of men like were like, whoa, I don't want to get anywhere near this. This thing is like demonizing me. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but what I see, and I'm curious if you agree with this, because I think it's a little bit of a, a edgy statement, is I think specifically cisgendered white men need therapy the most because cisgendered white culture is very isolationist. It's very individualist, right? It doesn't have family structure. It doesn't have, you know, mentorship baked in. It doesn't have any of these things that, you know, even more minority cultures do have that are seem to be more family focused, more community oriented, more even faith based, right? Like the cisgendered white man is really an island. Um, and I think they need a lot of support in the therapeutic world, um, which is wild, right? Because from the greater social justice movement, they're often seen as the most privileged, where I think in the mental health world, they're one of the least, you know, I'm curious your, your opinion on that. 
Mm, so interesting. Yeah, I feel like we could go in so, so many directions, but I'm thinking about access again in terms of not just like finding a therapist that's a good fit, maybe accept your insurance or that you can afford, but I, I do think that it's striking how many folks have reached out for this new group who can't, who are on disability or, you know, they, for whatever reasons, can't, can't afford or aren't comfortable paying. Um, so that there's a lot of layers to that, but thinking about this topic as a social justice issue and like what it means as a business owner, as a private practice therapist to make space for the marginalization of, of why and not to put it on men as like, you know, they're just not willing to to pay or invest in their healing, like to recognize some of the ways that they are on the, on the fringe of, of society. Like it's just really hard, I think, to expect people to pay for like just our healthcare system is so is so broken. And so I don't know, I guess I'm still kind of figuring out kind of how how best to address that because it, it feels unfair. Like I, I get why there are so many like free resources for female survivors. And I never thought I would say this because for years I've been like you know, struck by how much financial support and funding there are for veterans. And even Judith Herman's iconic book, Trauma and Recovery, you know, talks all, all about sort of the way childhood sexual abuse and incest are sort of really, the, it's a public health issue that no one wants to talk about. And, and so I've been really puzzled for years about how, yeah, how it feels like male survivors in some ways ha- have more recognition, but only war trauma. And, and so, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, but just trying to emphasize the, the fact that I, I don't, I'm still kind of figuring out how, how kind of the stigma of male trauma fits into maybe the larger social justice, I think, agenda. Like it feels to me, again, like maybe if you asked me this in a, in a month, I would probably have some statement to make, but it's too, it's like, I don't want to make like a binary statement about it. So I think my main message or response is around the complexity. And like, of course, we're speaking in generalizations, but really to, to allow for the really complex traumatic histories of, of these men that that can't be put into a box as perpetrator or, or victim but rather these are there's someone reached out and was like does my trauma as a you know Indian man count for your group like sort of the sense that like where do they belong and it is my trauma real or valid yeah I, I love that you talked about that because that is something that I think a lot of male trauma survivors really struggle with and you mentioned the war trauma thing. And that's also that toxic masculinity where it's like, I think as men, especially in like Western culture or, or culture that I think experienced World War II, quite frankly, right? In some way, shape or form, it's not all the West, but anyone that experienced World War II, there's this idea that the only male trauma that counts is war, right? Maybe, you know, in the modern era, we can make room for like, if you're a firefighter or you're like a paramedic, right? If you're like a first responder or a police officer, if it's like some level of like PTSD witnessing violence, like that is, you know, quote, like masculine trauma, right? Like you saw people die or you killed somebody, right? But when you get to this more subtle trauma, um, more insidious in, in many ways, right? Like, you know, being bullied at school, right? Or having a, you know, castrating mother, right? Or, you know, um, being beat at home or going through a childhood illness, 
right? Like being disabled as a child or, you know, even losing a job or, or getting divorced, right? Like all these other things. I think as men, and I think the society also really downplays that, right? Because this idea of like, well, you weren't in war. So like, what do you have to complain about? Like, look at your grandfather who was a freaking, you know, paratrooper at Normandy or whatever, right? Or like, look at, you know, for the, for the Jewish population, look at your grandparents that survived the Holocaust, right? Like we often get this kind of like trauma comparison where those little more emotional things, I think, get erased. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a heavy note to, to share, but like the, the reality is that men are completing suicide at 3.88 times more than women, mm-hmm. and they're less likely to seek help, more prone to suffering in silence. And I think that we're sort of making a, a case for why, why that is. And it seems like I'm just struck even hearing you, like how even in the local hospital scene here in Boston, it's like there's a women's trauma program at in a McLean. And then there's like, yeah, there's stuff for first responders. But what, what about for all the men I work with who have, you know, sexual abuse histories? And it's, it's like, I'm grappling right now hearing you with how emasculating it is to, to come forward. And, and like when men are supposed to, you know, be the domination, the not the one who initiates sexual activity. And so the fact that men can get raped or, or incested or abused by women is, is so, societally taboo it's very taboo right and I, and I think as men like you said we're either trained to just shrug it off and be like no that didn't happen right or to kind of like lie and be like oh yeah like it was consensual i wanted that blah 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 right or just never ever talk about it like bury it really really deep and just be like you know what like i think men do a lot of separation with a lot of the guys i work with they're like i was i am not who i was as a kid i hear that all the time Right. There's like a clear break, usually around adolescence of like, I am no longer that person. And I am now like this man. And that person is like not relevant to me, which, you know, as therapists, we know is like just 100 percent not true. But I think as men, we we do that like cleave. We do that really big cut um, to move through. So we have to move to our next commercial break here. Um, when we come back, I want to hear more specifics about your group, specifically about how it runs and the connections that are there. And then speaking to any guys, if you are listening and you're like, hey, I might be a good fit for this group, or I might have some complex trauma, a place that they can start, um, whether if they don't feel ready to reach out to a therapist yet, where can they start to um, work through some of these issues and and get a handle on it? So um, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Men's Therapy Online is now accepting new members. Men's Therapy Online offers a solution to the lack of outlets for emotional expression, positive role models, and access to meaningful milestone experiences. In our post-COVID world, loneliness is at an all-time high. Men need consistent community. Our society is rapidly changing. Old models of masculinity are falling at the task of promoting emotional intelligence and meaningful connection. Men's Therapy Online offers tools and experiences designed to help the man who is struggling to balance traditional male roles and emotional fluidity. Whether you need to get back on your feet or take your life to the next level, Men's Therapy Online has your back. We help our members become a true 21st century man. A man who is not burdened by the rapid change of society, but who contributes to it honorably. 
If you're interested in signing up and finding your band of brothers, go to menstherapy.online to learn more. That's menstherapy.online. Start your journey today. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to the Men's Therapy Podcast with Mark Azalay. To reach the show today, please call 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Or send an email to podcast at menstherapy.online or visit www.menstherapypodcast.com. Now, back to the Men's Therapy Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Jocelyn Eve, and we're talking about male survivors of trauma. Um, so Jocelyn, I, I was curious, a little bit of a sidebar, but I imagine the groups that you run, you're the only woman in the room, correct? That's correct. Right? Like you're the facilitator and you have a male co-facilitator. So I'm just curious, like from a personal slash professional, whatever standpoint, what is that like to be um, the only female in a room of, of men doing this really hard and, and courageous necessary work? Well, I should edit that actually. My the group I took over is mixed gender, and it's really interesting to have a mixed gender group because so often we do separate, um, you know, for all sorts of reasons, groups into a more homogenous population. But I actually feel really excited by that type of trauma group work that is mixed gender. So it is new actually for me to be in a group with exclusively male identified survivors, but I, I suspect that, yeah, because we have a mixed gender co-leadership model, um, that there will probably be lots of dynamics related to people's respective histories of what their relationships are like with their mothers or caregivers. And, um, we're, we're very much like anticipating, um, that it'll be interesting to have two of us. And that's why each of, um, Dr. Gladstone and I are both reaching out one-on-one um, with anyone who's interested in the group so they can get a sense of what it's like to be with me and what it's like to to be with him. Again, not making any assumptions, but giving them the chance to, to share if there's anything particularly triggering about having a female therapist in the room or anything that, you know, might come up that we can anticipate and support them as leaders and also obviously as a group. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean, one of the work that is um, aspirational for me, I mean, right now I'm building this whole men's you know, program, right? But the work that I'd love to be doing in 10 years is actually gender reconciliation work. So finding a partner or finding multiple partners that um, are running women's programs and then starting to do more mixed gender and more kind of like mixed retreats, because I think that there is so much work to be done there. And I think there's so much power in having... Um, you know, people of, of all genders that have done work already, then come back together and be like, okay, how do we fix that? Um, so all that to say is I imagine as you as a female facilitator, you're going to be holding a lot of that gender reconciliation, right? You're going to be holding a lot of those projections um, that these guys, these guys might have on women. Yeah, it's hard. It yeah, is hard. I'd imagine. Yeah. Anyone listening who does work with, with trauma, whether it's personally or professionally, like we can't, and are not meant to hold this stuff alone. So I do a lot of my own work and get a lot of supervision and consultation. I'm so grateful for this opportunity and connection with you to continue to, to build that relationship. But just thinking about 
what that's like, it's, it's challenging and it's interesting in the mixed gender setting um, to see sort of some of the female clients notice or stand up for me or feel protective of me when some of that um, anger or dismissiveness or kind of internalized misogyny co- comes through. And I'm very much, you know, early career here. So I'd say it's, it's definitely a, a learning edge, uh, how to like continue to hold that space so that I can invite the aggression and I can invite that trauma to get reenacted in a safe enough therapeutic way. Um, so, so far doing well, but it's definitely like, it's painful. It's painful to see how failed people have been by other humans. Like so much of trauma work is being exposed to super disturbing, dehumanizing, traumatic content. So just wanted to emphasize like, yeah, trauma happens in relationships, healing does too. And we got to do a lot of consultation and resourcing of ourselves so that I can have that emotional presence when that anger or aggression or um, yeah, whatever, whatever those feelings are from people's past experiences are coming at me. Like I want to invite that. That's, that's what the therapy relationship is all about. If you can't do it with your therapist, where can you? hundred percent. Yeah. And like you said, you're going to get a lot of that anger and pain and all that kind of gunk that's been, you know, stuck down there for a long time. I mean, I think it just, yeah, it's really brave that you're standing and be able to do that because, you know, as much as I promote men working with men, I do think, especially in cases of trauma, it's critical to do it with a female, um, you know, to like work through some of that stuff and be able to get that experience, um, that kind of like corrective experience, right. Of like, oh, wow. Like there is a female authority figure that can hold me that I can accept love from a woman, you know, um, something that a lot of my men talk about, uh, and I'm curious if you see this is they talk about every time they go through a breakup, right? Like a part of their heart closes. So the next subsequent woman that they're in connection with, then we're talking, you know, of course, like um, uh, heterosexual, heteronormative, right? Um, But every next relationship, they love that woman less and less and less and less, right? Because those things never get healed for a lot of them. You know, um, by the time they get to the person that they maybe end up life partnering with, the relationship can feel very flimsy and very surface level because they don't, they never loved as fully as when they were a teenager or when they were in college or when they were a young adult, you know, Um, because they don't, they don't, I think as men, we don't know how to work through that, you know? So I think being able to work through some of those intimacy barriers with a female therapist is, is crucial, is a hundred percent critical to healing. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking about all the difficulties people have once they're out of school and like making friends as an adult too. And, and how, like, if I had a message for, for any men listening, it's like, you're not alone. I I really encourage people to, there's so many amazing free resources online on social media. Um, There's also a lot of terrible resources out there, but, but to look for spaces and people and opportunities to share and connect authentically. And I'm not going to pretend like it's easy out there. And I know it's not, especially with online dating and all the like traumatic stuff that we're living through right now, but that there are people like the two of us who want to be there and want to be a bridge and a community builder and that, that you're not alone. Um, that this trauma happens, um, mental illness happens where we're all, going to encounter different kind of losses and, and sorrows in life, but where we can, we can support each other and have that burden be even just a little bit lighter, have someone shine a light in the darkness. That's what it's all about. 
Yeah, that's really well said. And, and let's dig into a little bit more. So if we have a male listeners that um, connect with this, where should they start? Yeah, so welcome to reach out to me on my website, as well as on social media. I'm on there. Um, I would say that the, the group is still, we're still enrolling and speaking to folks and we're getting a lot of interest. So I'm happy or Dr. Gladstone, Adam is, is glad to speak to anyone if you feel more comfortable reaching out to him. I would say the first step is yeah, to, to reach out um, if you're just looking for a therapist or a support group in your own area. Psychology Today is an excellent resource. Hello Alma is a, another good one. Uh, I'll share in maybe the show notes some particular male survivor resources that I recommend. Um, but I also wanted to make a point to say, in terms of the group that we're leading, that some of the, the goals are to incorporate psychoeducation, to incorporate internal family systems and to incorporate a space for processing. So that's not something that I've seen done really, really before. And we're, we're really trying to, you know, have a structure and have like a plan here while also making space for the unique and individual courageous men who are reaching out to show up for this opportunity and making sure that it's a good fit means we're doing a lot of a lot of screening and a lot of conversations to to set people up for success, to support them and identifying what is your particular goal right now in your recovery? What do you hope to get from this group? Because otherwise, how are we going to know if this is the right fit or if this is helping you? So we have to know where we're starting. Um, so really, the the kind of recruitment process, the the kind of re- first step is you know getting to know me and, and Adam and seeing if it feels like you know we could be part of your your team of support. Yeah, I think that's really great. I love that you have like a personalized touch with it. You know, um, I think that is at least I found one of the benefits of running prior practice groups is that I can actually keep my group small and I can spend the time required on each of my clients. When I was in the agency world, you know, I ran a lot of groups, but they were, you know, frankly, a lot lower quality because there was a lot going on. I didn't have time to like really personalize it. You know, they were often like, you know, 20, 30 people. Um, so I think having a smaller group, something that, that I would add for guys that are working with trauma you know, cause we talked guys start physically. So I would encourage a guy that feels like there's something going on is actually like really start working out or start doing yoga. Um, start doing any kind of like, like mind body connection exercise, Tai Chi stretching calisthenics, something that like you're actually moving very slow and purposefully. Um, something that I experienced when I was, you know, doing a chunk of my trauma healing was I would have emotions in my body. You know, so I would be, I would get into a place where I, that I've ignored for a while and I would start running or start lifting or start stretching and I would feel really sad, you know, or I would have like a memory come up from my childhood or I would all of a sudden feel like really like gross and nauseated and disgusted and stuff that like didn't fit with what I was doing. Right. I was like literally doing a forward fold or literally trying to like do pigeon pose and open up my pelvis or something. Right. Um, and I think that there is this really critical mind-body connection piece that can sometimes get overlooked. And I think as guys, like there is a whole world there, you know, as physical as we can be and, and body that, that we can be, there's something different of treating your body as like a, a pet or like as a as something to protect versus treating it as a machine or a robot that you just use to like go conquer the world. Um, yeah, so, I'm so glad you, you said yeah. that. We actually both, Adam and I, are really big into mindfulness-based practices. So we likely will start each group 
And I do this with my other group with a couple of minutes, especially in the virtual therapy world. Like we could just be like, click, 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 click. Oh, suddenly I'm here. So like, how do we sort of feel more embodied and help us to transition from our morning events or whatever meetings we just came from into this like more intentional therapeutic space where you can do some de-armoring. So I do like a good workout metaphor and thinking about like, what are the like, maybe not 10 pound weights, but what what is something that, you know, feels doable. And I always like to invite people to make a choice. You know, you can keep your camera on, you can turn it off. I'm just going to take a couple moments to orient myself and like notice where my body is on the chair. Even if you could just make yourself 5% more comfortable, like you know, grab a sip of water. What are the little micro things that we can do to tune into our bodies? Because trauma is in our bodies. The body does keep scores. So I, I agree that talking is very, accessing our emotions is very difficult to do if we are dissociated and living outside of our bodies. And frankly, our society really, really reinforces that. And our apps and our technology, our devices really do a great job of keeping us doom scrolling and addicted to being out of our bodies. So Adam and I are very much like excited to invite each other, you know, invite the group to, to dip their toes in that like mindfulness waters of like, can I, can I just, you know, just a little bit, try this on just for like one minute, even if they, you know, people have lots of bad experiences, maybe being told or trying to force themselves to meditate, but that it's really about just checking in with what's present. Can I make space for whatever parts uh, at wounded or childhood parts are, are activated coming into this group? And can, can that be welcome? And can I make some like invitation that whatever comes up here, I'm not going to take action and, and exit the Zoom room, but I'm going to try to put my feelings into words and um, I know that that's a lot to ask of people and it's, it's remarkable, like seeing what happens when people build those bridges and get to connect with their peers in a way that frankly, like we can't do as therapists or coaches, like there's magic that happens in groups that like we can't create when it's like a therapeutic professional. It has to happen between peers. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. And I think I'd like to just underline that before we wrap up. I think as men, a lot of us have really good bullshit meters. And I will tell you as a therapist and as a group facilitator, the leader, there is a level of bullshit, right? There's a level of performativeness. There's a level of us doing a thing, right? There's a level of us like doing interventions, right? Like, like we are intentional, but what we do, that's what you're paying us for. But with your other members, there's no bullshit. And I think like as men, we need guys that we can talk to that's no bullshit. Right. So as a facilitator, what I do, and I definitely know you do, Jocelyn, it's like our job is to be, like build connection, right? And facilitate the conversations so you can get that real authentic thing with people that you can trust. Cause they're just like you, right? They're in the same seat that you are in. Um, so our role is not to like be a guru or to like, you know, enlighten you or whatever. It's to create connection within the group. Yeah, absolutely. And and during those one-on-one consultations, we get a chance to find out like what might come up for you in group? Like what have your experiences been like with other men or with bullying or in your workplace or family system? Like what can we anticipate? Because it, it is hard and it is also so rewarding when people start to make those connections. And it's easy to judge people when you show up in a group and be like, I'm, I'm not like any of these guys or like this is I'm the only one who has this experience. And then, you know, little by little, it's like, you, you don't realize that 
sounds cliche, but we're all more similar than we are different. And so I really, I know that my presence as a female leader matters. And as you sort of pointed out, it's it's really about the other group members and can Adam and I kind of get out of the way and foster a space where people can connect and that like I can throw out my agenda or my therapeutic kind of techniques and strategies. Yes, that's like important for fostering safety, but it's really about the wisdom and the resources that people who have survived trauma are incredibly resilient. And I did want to note before we finish, like post-traumatic growth is is real. And that that was something that began to be researched in the 1990s. And I know that it, it might seem like a Pollyanna phenomenon, but I see it all the time. And I, I think that that's what prompts me to want to do this work is seeing what that's been like in my own life to have gone through the fire, to have risen above it, and to be able to have a new appreciation of life, um, to have deeper, more meaningful, intimate relationships with others, uh, to feel like a sense of spiritual connection, interconnectedness with the world. Like I, I don't wish trauma upon anyone and some of the most beautiful and inspiring and resilient people who I've encountered in life have gone through really ugly things. And that's really beautiful and well said. So as we're wrapping up here, Jocelyn, where can people find you online? They want to know more information about you or about this group. Yeah. So my website is Jocelyn Eve, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-E-V-E.com. And there's a section for groups. Um, You can contact me through the email form. And I would love to hear from anyone listening. Love to know what's been helpful and any questions people have, um, or if you just want to introduce yourself. Fantastic. And that stuff will all be in the show notes too. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Another episode of Men's Therapy Podcast. Thank you for joining your host, Mark Agile on the Men's Therapy Podcast. Be sure to tune in again live next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and anywhere podcasts are found. To support the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to apply to be a guest, visit www.menstherapypodcast.com.